0: good morning. Uh, My name is Nelson. It is a gift to see your faces today. Um, I am alone at the Alexander Center in our new space. I just want to give you a little swivel of what I get to see. You know and so i'm alone but in another sense i'm very much not alone i i feel a connection to all of your hearts and uh your faces many of your faces whom i know and scrolling through uh there are people that i don't know names that i don't recognize but really grateful that you've joined us here today and in the words of huey lewis i am happy to be stuck with you in this mega zoom room i don't think i've ever quoted huey lewis before in a sermon Um, I don't know how you're coming into this space today. I know you're coming with color. I know you're coming with enthusiastic um, response of Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Uh, I don't know how ready you feel to hear an Easter sermon. And to be honest, over the past couple of weeks, it's been hard to get to the place where I feel truly ready to deliver one. Is anyone else finding a new resonance with Holy Saturday? just me, (laughs) can I just say if that's you, it's okay to be in that space. If you're looking for some sort of happy switch to turn on but it's eluding you, it's okay, it doesn't exist. Whenever I find myself uncertain or unsure, something that always tends to help is hearing a story. Uh, We've heard uh, the rendering of the Easter story from John's Gospel, adding my thanks, Kathy, to you for reading that, but here's another version from the Gospel of Luke. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb, carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the Master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days, rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all this to the 11 and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped in to look and saw a few grave clothes, that's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Easter Sunday. That's how the first part of it happened, according to the witness of Luke in his gospel. Easter Sunday, the day when just as the sun was coming up, some women who had been close to Jesus came to the tomb to anoint a body they weren't able to find. The day the church around the world remembers and celebrates and chooses to trust and keep living into even when it's hard. The day we tell the story again of one who willingly emptied and sacrificed himself to show love to everyone, who overcame death by his own death, who rose in bodily form from the dead and is alive present, and active by his spirit and through his people. Easter Sunday, the day when we intentionally pause to consider together why the resurrection matters, what it means that Jesus is alive today, how it is that our declaring together that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, even though we may be a bit scared and disappointed, somehow it helps us to be a little bit hopeful. Easter Sunday, the day that is both the heart of the good news that animates all of us and a mystery that causes puzzlement, raises questions and invites us into curiosity, just as it did for the women and just as it did for the men who eventually believed them. Easter Sunday, also not coincidentally, is the day we're starting a new series called The Third Way. The Third Way is language we use often in our milestone statement, but it isn't just a way we want to practice together in relation to the inclusion of our LGBTQ plus and SSA siblings. I'm excited. We've got several weeks ahead now through our teaching moment to explore this further. For now, I'll just say I find it helpful to think of the third way simply as the Jesus way. The way of loving our enemies. Another option between fight and flight a way of being in the world that Jesus called the narrow path because it is not the ego's default or preferred method. The third way isn't some cool new idea, although it is relatively new language for us. The third way is a way of being that's been embodied before. It's in our DNA as a church that has emerged from the historic Anabaptist tradition, a stream that is neither Protestant nor Catholic, but literally a third way. And it's a way that has everything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with how we see Jesus, how we understand who he was, what he taught, what he came to be and do for human life everywhere. And it has to do with how Jesus sees us. So that's a bit about today, a bit about where we're going in the coming weeks. We want to return to the story we've just heard and see what it might hold for us on this Easter morning. So I invite you to notice a few things with me first. Shouts to the women, shouts to the women for their beautiful intention to anoint Jesus' body, for getting up and going to the tomb before sunrise, for being present. A Few verses later, we have the interaction with the two brightly lit men in the garden. Some think they're angels. Uh, Some translations don't make that explicit, but here's what they said to the women. Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. Subtext, no, they they didn't remember. They weren't able to make the connection, which notice is the very etymology of the word to remember is to put back together. They needed another reminder, as do we. More on that in a bit. In the next part, we have the women breaking the news to the Apostles who were men, the Apostles not having it. (sighs) Hmm. Women not being believed by men. And some people say the Bible isn't relevant anymore. Even so, we need to be careful not just to read the story through a 21st century lens. Black womanist theologian, Dr. Will Gaffney reminds us that for one thing, not every woman was at the tomb, just as not everyone was in that locked room. In a brilliant narrative sermon, Dr. Gaffney tells an imaginative story of what the experience of that first Easter might have been like from one woman's perspective. I spent the last three days trying to come to terms with it. And now I hear people saying he's back. First, I was angry. What a horrible, cruel thing to say. People are grieving. People poured their hearts and hopes into that man. There was something about him. It wasn't just children who were enamored with him. He made miracles like the prophets of old, I saw for myself. They say he was God's son, I don't know. But I know God gave him those gifts and never struck him down. Not even when he said that he was the one who was to come. And then the Romans got him. The things they did to him, I can't talk about it. But it wasn't just soldiers running wild or everyday brutality. It was deliberate to humiliate him and discredit his name and even his memory. Finally, after a couple of days, I've been able to eat a little and sleep a little. And I hear these stories, and I hear these words, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. You heard it too? I don't wanna hear it. You weren't there, you didn't see, you didn't hear, you didn't smell. You don't know what death smells like, that kind of bloody, wretched death. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. At first, it was only a couple of folk, but now it's spreading like wildfire. You know how rumors fly. But this is different. If it were just Mary Magdalene, I'd put it down to her terrible grief. But it's not just her. And Peter, well, he's so eaten up by guilt, I understand, but I wouldn't take his word. But there was Joanna. You know her husband, Chusa? Big time. He works for the big man, Herod himself. Personal assistant. Anyway, Joanna and Mary, you know the one I'm talking about? No. No, the other one, not that James, though his mother's a Mary too. Every other woman and girl in Judea is named for the prophet Miriam. Anyway, little James's mother Mary, Susanna, one of the other Marys, it was a whole bunch of them and they all said the same thing. They said they saw him. I don't know. I don't really believe in group hallucinations. And Mary said she touched him. No, not that one, Magdalene, keep up. Forgot about John. He was with Peter, actually. He got there first. And there are others, all saying, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. What if it's true? What does it mean in this world that looks the same, where there are still crosses on that hill? I offer that excerpt from Dr. Gaffney to remind us of that little word that appears twice in Luke's account of this story, puzzled. Everyone was puzzled, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, the other women, Peter, all of them. This isn't just as simple as the men didn't believe the women. What else is new? Everyone down to a person was wondering what just happened, what to believe, what to make of what they'd seen and what they were being told. Are you with me? So let's hear a little bit more of the story, picking it up at verse 13. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there long faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? So here Jesus himself enters the story. We know it. They didn't. What a moment. Notice with me how he enters the story. Neither judging nor avoiding. He comes up and walks with them. In the middle of their questions, Jesus shows up. The risen Christ meets them where they are, he walks with them, he comes with curiosity and compassion and conversation, he is present with them where they are in the story. This too is how we are invited to show up in the world. It's a sermon in itself, a third way principle for us to put in our pockets, we could say it like this. Jesus' third way is about being with people wherever they are in their stories. It's about presence. It's about bringing compassionate curiosity to people's uncertainty, confusion, doubt, fear, dashed hopes, deep loss, sadness, and disappointment. It's about being with people in the gray. Do you know the gift of this kind of presence? Have you been a recipient of it? Have you offered it to another? May we have eyes to see all the ways Jesus does this and to follow his example in it. Now, what about Jesus' question? What's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? Now, given that we know where the conversation goes from here, we could read this as a leading question. Like Jesus has an agenda. What's this you're discussing? He all the while kind of knows, but, and we'll come back to the initial context, but what if just for a minute, we heard it as an open question? of us here and now, what are we discussing intently? As friends, as families, as a church, what are the conversations we're giving ourselves to? What are we focusing on? If you missed our annual community meeting last month, we said there that our theme for 2021 is the third way. This is a conversation we want to begin this year as a family of faith. And I pray we'll be led by the spirit in that pursuit to listen carefully and widely, to learn from the history of Christianity warts and all, to find the courage to confess where it's needed, to challenge ourselves and to take bigger risks in following Jesus together. Let's immerse ourselves back in the story at this point. Picture yourself as one of the two walking the road to Emmaus. So the stranger comes up and asks what we're talking about. And one of us replies, Are you kidding? Are you the only person in this whole region who doesn't know what's been happening around Jerusalem recently? Like what, he asks. So we tell him about Jesus, that he was clearly a prophet who said and did amazing things. We tell him how the religious and political leaders came together to arrest him. We go into some detail about the crucifixion on Friday. We had hoped, one of us says and pauses, We'd hoped that this Jesus was the one who was going to turn things around for Israel, that he would set us free from Roman occupation. We walk on a few steps and one of us says, and, and this morning was the third day since his death. And some women from our group told us they had a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus they didn't see Jesus. This phrase is both a literal accounting of what took place that morning and on another level, it's a parable of the whole enterprise. They didn't see Jesus. And that's when the stranger loses it. So thick-headed, so slow-hearted, you just don't get it, do you? This is exactly what the prophets said would happen. They've been telling us all along that the liberator would have to suffer and die like this before entering his glory. Here's a sermon I'm betting none of us has ever heard. The anger and frustration of Christ in his post-resurrection appearances. (laughs) Jesus may have been just a little bit livid with these two. And do we understand why? The story has been told on repeat for thousands of years and they are still not hearing it. They're not getting it. And if you're the storyteller, if you're the crux of the story itself, you're repeating yourself, you're saying it a different way, you're giving examples, Pictures, images i am the bread i am the vine i am the way the truth will let you offer demonstrations not only words but actions embodied reminders and 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 there comes a point where people's inability incapacity or refusal to listen reaches a boiling point parents do you feel me we may read this through our cultural lens and think jesus was being a bit harsh cut these guys some slack i don't know I think we need to let Jesus be frustrated for a hot minute. And, and, may we also hear clearly what's beneath that frustration and anger. After his little outburst, Luke tells us, he started at the beginning. He started at the beginning. He tells them the story one more time. Jesus wants us to get it, to hear the story for what it holds for us, to find grace to open ourselves to it, to allow it to speak us back to life. What began as an angry rebuke, some name-calling, didn't stop there. He stayed with them and patiently reframed the entire narrative again. How long did it take is a question that I asked myself as I was looking at this story. Well, the distance from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it says right there in Luke's text, is about seven miles. So did the math, a leisurely walking pace that it's probably about two hours. In another sense, though, it's been over 2,000 years, and we still need Jesus' help to understand the scriptures in this way. In a way where we see clearly that the whole thing is about him what happened next? Imagine with me again. Well, at this point, we realize we've reached home already. And as we slow down, the stranger just keeps walking. And we plead with him, stay here with us. It's getting late. Soon's going be it's going to be dark. And so he comes in and we sit down at our little table for a meal. He reaches to the center of the table and he takes a loaf of bread and gives thanks for it. He breaks it and hands a piece of it to each of us. And it hits us at the same instant. This isn't a stranger. This is it couldn't be. Yes, this is Jesus. We look down at the fragment of bread in our hands, and we look back up at the stranger. and He's gone. I've been struck by a few things in this story this time around. Isn't it amazing how that can happen? older we get, these familiar stories can still reveal new discoveries. So here's the thing. Going back a bit, did we notice that when these two heard Jesus tell the story, when they heard Jesus tell the story in retrospect, they wanted to hear more. Even though they may have felt a bit dumb and sheepish at first being called out as thick-headed and slow-hearted and all, they couldn't wait, despite all of that, to sit down together and share a meal and they sit down, and the stranger takes and blesses and breaks and gives, and their eyes are opened, and there's the moment of recognition. And then Jesus vanishes. After that, you can almost hear them talking, one interrupting the other. When you spoke about Moses and the prophets, did you feel inspired? Yes, like my heart was glowing hotter and hotter until it was ready to ignite. Did this really happen, or was it just a vision? Just a vision? Maybe a vision means seeing into what's more real than anything else. But it wasn't just me, right? You saw him too. You felt it too, right? What do we do now? Should we tell the others? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go back. Jerusalem. It's late, but whatever. I can never sleep after experiencing this. It's such a great story, isn't it? When Jesus opens up the scriptures, revealing how they point to himself at every turn of the page, what happens? Fire, inspiration, animation, hope. 2,000 years in, how is it we still fail to recognize that Jesus is what God has to say? We need so much help in this still which is why I need to offer a little commercial. I'm stoked that my friend Bradley Jerzak has a new book coming out in July called A More Christ-like Word. And I just need to take a couple minutes to read the description because I think a lot of us struggle with this, what to make of scripture. I think it will resonate with what Brad is on about here. So this is just a few paragraphs of description. The scriptures are an essential aspect of the Christian faith, but we have often equated them with the living word himself, even elevating them above the one to whom they point. In doing so, we have distorted their central message and our view of God. Tragically, this has caused multitudes of people unnecessary doubt, confusion, and pain in their encounters with the scriptures. Many people understand God as being truly loving and good, Yet, they struggle with depictions of God in Scripture as wrathful, violent, and genocidal. These toxic texts have caused some to set aside their Bibles as R-rated and unreliable. They have led others to completely reject their faith. Author and theologian Bradley Jerzak has wrestled deeply with such passages over many years. He has experienced the same questions, doubt and pain. So in a more Christ-like word, he offers a clarifying and freeing path forward, whether you consider yourself a believer, doubter, or a skeptic, inviting you to a better and more ancient way to read the scriptures. He calls this path the Emmaus way because it focuses on Jesus Christ as the final word on God. It demonstrates how all scripture, by design, points to Jesus revealing the true nature Father. So in this book, he's going to explain how modern literalist, biblicist approaches to scripture have failed us, and so has any approach that would have us disregard scripture entirely. So here's a third way principle to apply to our interactions with scripture. Let Jesus be the primary interpreter of the story. Learn to see this collection of witnesses' writings through a Jesus shaped lens. This is the approach we've been trying to live into at Artisan. If you've been around, hopefully you've seen this. I look forward to learning how to do this more intentionally, more effectively, and helping others to do it as well. Here's another observation from the story. Having a complete grasp of who we are and where we are in the story is not a precondition for relationship. Jesus was willing to break bread with these heartbroken, puzzled, bewildered disciples, even though they had momentarily lost the plot. In fact, these are the very ones Jesus first looked for after rising from the dead, even though they were among the friends who had previously let him down. Isn't that something? Let's so return to the aftermath of the story. Imagine with me the two disciples thinking through what a risen Christ means. Well, it means Jesus was right after all, that everything he stood for has been vindicated, yeah—and that we never have to fear Caesar and the forces of empire again, that their only real weapon is fear. And if we lose our fear, what power remains? I love how Dr. Will Gaffney put it, there is a hope that the empire cannot take away from us, even with the threat of death, even with the certainty of death. Imagining disciples again saying, death has lost its sting. Ha! That means we can stand tall and speak the truth just like Jesus did. This changes everything. It's not just that Jesus has been resurrected. It feels like we've arisen too. We were in a tomb of defeat and despair, but now look at us. We're truly alive again. And they go on to recall what Jesus said about his body and blood on Thursday night. And what happened on Friday when his body and blood were separated from one another on the cross. That's what crucifixion is. The slow excruciating public separation of body and blood. What if every time we come to the table in remembering Jesus, we are making space for his body and blood to be reunited and reconstituted in us. One writer, asks it this way. Could our remembering him actually remember and resurrect him in our hearts, our bodies, our lives? Could his body and blood be reunited in us so that we become his new embodiment? Is that why we saw him and then didn't see him? Because the place he most wants to be seen is in our bodies, among us, in us. I want to close with one more quote from Brian McLaren and then invite us to the Lord's table in a time of response. Resurrection has begun. We are part of something rare, something precious, something utterly revolutionary. It feels like an uprising, an uprising of hope, not hate, an uprising armed with love, not weapons, An uprising that shouts a joyful promise of life and peace not angry threats of hostility and death. It's an uprising of outstretched hands, not clenched fists. It's the someday we have always dreamed of emerging in the present rising up among us within us. It's so different from what we expected so much better. This is what it means to be truly alive. This is what it means to be en route, walking the road to a new and better day. And so we declare it again together three times, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. In just a moment, I want to lead us in the table liturgy that we rehearse every week. But first I want to say a bit about our song of response today, which will be a video recording of a song called the cross made the change. It's by Justin Gray and common hymnal. It's a song that's all about how we see Jesus and what happens based on that seeing on that recognition. It's seven minutes. uh, but to me, it doesn't feel nearly that long. If you have the option of something a little better than laptop audio, I encourage you to connect to it. Otherwise, crank up those Mac Pro speakers, push them to the max. Um, They're not going to be words on the screen for the song, but near the beginning, there are some oohs that you'll be led in. Harmonize with them like I know you can, Artisan Church. Man, I miss singing with you all. And the chorus simply repeats, it's the cross that made the change. You'll catch on. Later, there are some repeated phrases you can join in as well. Have fun with it, receive it, be with it, sing with it. A blessed Easter to you, dear friends.